0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, another setback for Canada's supply of COVID-19 vaccines and more questions about How Canada Plans to Acquire More Doses. MPs will debate the latest developments. The Green Party leader slams the government for its decision to draw vaccine doses out of the international pool created in part to supply poor countries. Enemy Paul will join me to discuss that. And our panel of political commentators on the vaccine rollout, Uh, Canada-U.S. challenges and election timing. But we'll begin tonight with some more bad news about Canada's COVID-19 vaccine deliveries, but it's still not clear how bad. Here's the latest on the vaccine numbers. We already knew shipments of Pfizer vaccine have been reduced by 25% this month, so the focus now is on Moderna shipments. We got confirmation today that the shipment of Moderna doses, which arrived today, include 180,000 doses, 50,000 less than expected. The next Moderna shipment is set for February 22nd. It was supposed to include 249,000 doses, but the company's told Canadian officials it will be less than that, but hasn't said how much less, and the company isn't offering any explanations as to why the doses have been cut back.
1: Moderna has
2: indicated that they are um, in good faith trying their best to provide as many doses as possible, as fairly and as equitably to, uh, to their market in this uh, global demand. Uh, So they haven't shared uh, the uh, specifics of uh, challenges that they may experience in their uh, yields or in their production, Um, but they remain committed uh, to providing us 2 million doses by the end of March.
0: Well, Canada has now slipped from eighth in the world in vaccinations per capita on January 8th to 34th today. Not the kind of pandemic progress you want to see. Uh, Let's follow up with three members of Parliament to talk about the latest vaccine development. Steve McKinnon is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Procurement. Michael Barrett is the ethics critic for the official opposition Conservatives. And Don Davies is the health critic for the NDP. Mr. McKinnon, more news today about the uncertainty of vaccine supply. Fewer doses of Moderna this month probably next, but we don't know how many less. And the company isn't saying why it's cutting Canada's doses. Province is running out of vaccine and can't plan their rollouts. What's happening to the plan here?
3: Well, um, good evening, Peter, and good evening to my colleagues. Thank you for having me on. Canada has, in fact, uh, adopted a strategy, a very diverse strategy of vaccine procurement, one that will ultimately stand us in very, very good stead. Every Canadian who wishes to access a vaccine will be able to do so before September. Of course, uh, Pfizer and Moderna have both uh, under the crushing weight of world demand uh, until we ramp up uh, so that supply meets demand uh, and this crushing demand for vaccine. Of course, they will encounter uh, speed bumps as they ramp up their production. Mm. That's what we're experiencing now, not just Canada, but other countries. The customers of Moderna have all taken an equal uh, reduction, a small one in the first week of February. Those shipments come every three weeks. So we're awaiting word and we're obviously hoping that reduction will be as small as possible in the second February uh, delivery to Canada. And uh, uh, we're watching that closely. As you can imagine, we're in daily contact with the company.
0: Mr. Uh, Mr. Barrett, the Minister of Procurement explained today that none of Canada's vaccine contracts specified weekly or monthly amounts because they were negotiated even before there was a vaccine on the horizon. So they stuck to quarterly guarantees and that explains perhaps why we have no say over weekly doses or the every three week doses we get from Moderna. What's your reaction to that explanation about you know uh, why we might be seeing reductions in doses and really uh, can't hold the companies over the barrel because of it?
2: Well what we're seeing is that uh, the Liberals didn't have a plan uh, when they signed these contracts so it, it, it seems as though they signed what, whatever was put in front of them and uh, and that leaves Canada at a greatly disadvantaged position. Um, certainly, well behind um, our allies. And um, and every day that we fall behind in, in receiving these vaccines, Canadians don't get to see their loved ones. Uh, they're not. Their health isn't protected. And people's livelihoods are are dramatically affected as as lockdowns continue. As as a result. And so. Um, the contracts haven't been uh, made available for members of parliament to review. And, uh, you know, uh, our allies, the United Kingdom, for example, when uh, when they were in the same position as we were with domestic production capacity uh, in, you know, 10 months ago, um, they, they ramped up, scaled up, okay. and now they're manufacturing their own vaccines. All right, we're Ms- in a position... We're in, a, we're in a position now that is entirely of the making uh, you know, of, these, uh, of this government and, uh, and they need to be transparent with Canadians about how we got here and they need okay. to work with all parties so that we chart a clear path going forward.
0: Well, Mr. Davies, we, we are, we're having these regular conversations now about reductions in doses and surprises from the vaccine makers. What is happening?
1: Well, it's funny, Steve, and, and by extension the government are starting to remind me of the Black Knight sketch from the old Monty Python movie where it doesn't matter that the battle just gets progressively worse and worse. They just keep saying everything is, is going great. You know, the the, the truth is, is it's not. You know, in every major metric, uh, things are not going well. And, you know, I was at the industry committee this morning and put questions to Minister Anand and Minister Champagne and got some very disturbing answers. Like, you know, now we find out that Canada did try to get The ability to to produce astrazeneca vaccines in canada and astrazeneca refused even though they gave that right to 15 other countries um it turns out that canada unlike the eu the us and brazil we agreed to complete confidentiality clauses in our contracts whereas those countries or jurisdictions were able to release their contracts you know it it just seems like uh, the agreements have been fairly poorly negotiated or certainly relatively speaking not as well negotiated as other countries and and I think the delivery problems are are a sign of that. You know, just today or yesterday we found out that we're actually having to get uh, vaccine doses from the COVAX Global Fund meant for poor countries uh, even though this government says we have enough from right. Pfizer and Moderna to vaccinate everybody let, by September, let, let, let me pick up. Let me pick up.
0: Let me pick up on uh, what you heard today at the committee. I was also watching along and saw you there, uh, Mr. McKinnon. We learned today from the Minister of Procurement uh, that every one of the vaccine makers, you know, Mr. Davies touched on it, that Canada signed a contract with. They were asked if they could make their vaccines in Canada, and all of them said no. Uh, But they said it was because manufacturing capacity was so limited, it wouldn't justify the investment here. Um, How big an indictment is that of Canada's level of preparation for something like a pandemic?
3: Well, you can imagine, uh, Mr. Van Dusen, that I take issue with virtually everything my colleagues have said to date. Uh, And uh, what I would say about manufacturing is that, indeed, I don't think uh, it's a secret, A, that we would have pressed every possible uh, vaccine manufacturer, that, uh, that could to assess uh, our ability to make these vaccines. Unfortunately, uh, none of them panned out and that is because it's also not a secret that Canada allowed, uh, through a variety of circumstances, not pointing fingers, but over time allowed our biomanufacturing capability to erode such that companies like AstraZeneca decided that they could scale up more quickly in different countries. So what Canada did is make sure that our contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, got vaccines to Canada as quickly as possible and that's the strategy that we adopted. We adopted it very successfully with seven manufacturers and of course five of them have published encouraging safe and, uh, and efficacious right. uh, data so, uh, such that uh, Canada will have enough vaccines to vaccinate its citizens sure, by so, September. So
0: Mr. Barrett, your, your party's been pushing for those answers about, you know, why didn't Canada get those vaccines, you know, uh, have the vaccine makers make those vaccines here, as is being done in other countries. Uh, it seems like we got the answer today. They, they wouldn't make them here because Canada couldn't make them. We don't have the manufacturing capacity. Do you accept that uh, as one of the reasons we have the problem we have today?
2: Well, it sounds like a failure to negotiate on, on a part, the part of the liberals. And, uh, you know, at the Well, time how can you force them to
0: make so- the vaccine here if they say, look, we looked at your manufacturing capability here? You can't do it. It's not worth investing in it for us.
2: Well, the question is, what did the government offer in response? Did they offer to create the capacity to do that as some other countries did? What our government focused on instead of. Uh, of focusing on domestic production was they partnered with China in a fail, that failed deal with CanSino and uh, we're seeing the results of that now and so while our allies uh, they made the investments and they took the necessary steps uh, this government failed to get the deal done. So, And, I, and, and as Mr. Davies said, um, this isn't a one-off that, that just one other country was able to produce it. Uh, you know, we, we stand alone in, you know, in, this, uh, in this respect, and, uh, and it is a, uh, in full part a failure of this government uh, to properly negotiate those contracts. And I think they knew that, and that's why they, they wanted to keep them a secret.
0: All right. Mr. Davies, let, let me have you weigh in on that uh, part of our conversation. You touched on it. You started it. Let's go, let's go back there. Uh, Was that a missed opportunity when those vaccine companies said, look, you don't have the manufacturing capability here, as Mr. Barrett says? uh, Should the answer have been, look, we'll get on it right away. What do we need to do to make it happen?
1: Yeah, I think the story is actually a little bit darker than Steve may admit. I I think we did have the capacity to produce the AstraZeneca vaccine. The problem was the NRC facility that would have had that capacity um, was tied up uh, with the Chinese firm. And so that's why we didn't have capacity, so I think you can lay that at liberal government's feet. but look there's a structural problem here that goes back um, decades. How is it that Canada, in 2021, is behind countries like Argentina, Mexico, Brazil, uh, Belgium? These are the countries that AstraZeneca did? Uh, sign manufacturing agreements with and and frankly that I think is an indictment of success of conservative and liberal governments who have failed to ensure that we have strong domestic uh, production capacities in in essential medicines and vaccines and it goes right back to one thousand nine hundred and eighty six when the conservatives privatized Conaught labs okay. which was uh, which was very very effective for us, and frankly the liberals who were in power for nineteen years after that you know thirteen in majority government seven terms never. Uh, lifted a finger to address it. So okay, I think well, we're, we, we can never be look, in this position again. We've got to get domestic production capacity back in this country.
0: I think everybody agrees on that. And uh, thank you all for your time tonight, gentlemen. It's, it's running short on us, but I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this important subject. And I bet we'll get a chance to talk about it again. But thank you all tonight. Take care. Thank you. Peter. Thank you. Well, Canada is facing criticism from international and domestic quarters for dipping into the COVAX international pool for as many as 1.9 million additional doses of vaccines. They'll come from AstraZeneca between March and June when and if that vaccine is approved for use in Canada. COVAX was created to see uh, wealthier countries pay to help supply vaccine to poorer countries and get vaccines for themselves too. Canada contributed uh, contributed $440 million to COVAX, but it is the only G7 country actually drawing out vaccines for its own population. Canada's Green Party leader calls that an embarrassment enemy Paul, you can see, is with me now. Uh, Ms. Paul, good to see you again. Thanks for speaking with me. Why do you describe Canada's draw on vaccines from COVAX, uh, an embarrassment and a low moment?
4: It's a low moment because we know that there are many poor countries that are completely dependent upon the COVAX facility to get any vaccines. We know that by dipping into a facility that already has less dosages than it should be exactly because wealthy countries have done an end run around and have made their own uh, um, agreements with manufacturers that there are even less doses to go around. And so for a country that is a country of, of many people from many parts of the world, a country that says it wants to be a responsible international citizen, it's very embarrassing uh, for us to to be the only G7 country to be dipping into this uh, fund that was really intended for poor countries.
0: But to be clear, the COVAX facility, and the government said this when it announced its contribution last fall of $440 million, was, was always meant to work this way. Wealthier countries contributing funds, and Canada did, as I said, provide $440 million. Half of the money for vaccines for poor countries and half for the country putting up the money, in this case, Canada. So what's wrong with Canada exercising that right to obtain vaccines from COVAX to protect its own people?
4: Well, that's what that's how COVAX was supposed to work and that's not how it's working, unfortunately. What has in fact happened is that countries like Canada uh, went again directly to uh, manufacturers and, and created their own side agreements as opposed to relying exclusively on co- the COVAX facility. The idea behind COVAX was that every country would get their equal, fair share of vaccines exactly because we understood that to really fight this virus, we had to do it together and that protecting people here in Canada was going to require protecting people abroad. So by again, dipping into this, this uh, pool while uh, hoarding vaccines, four to five times as many as are needed for, uh, for Canadians, it means that we actually are protecting Canadians less because we cannot defeat this virus unless we do it globally. You
0: you talk about hoarding vaccines. I mean, uh, you know, as we speak, Canada can't even uh, get the the promised doses of the vaccines it's already ordered and and is paying for. And I'm wondering if you think, what's the connection there? Do, do Do you think Canada's going to COVAX because it can't ensure a reliable supply of the vaccine from those makers it contracted?
4: Yes, I do. That's exactly what I think. This is, and of course, this is the reason that other countries who have been more successful in securing not only supply but delivery of their supplies have declined to to use their designated amount of doses under the Covax facility. Um, this is really the thing that uh, that the government should just be transparent about and honest about, and say, look. We're not getting the doses that we planned. We're not getting them on the schedule that we expected. And so we're going to to this facility. But even with that, Peter, I really have to underline, and even as the daughter of an 84-year-old woman who is waiting for her vaccine, and I very much want her to have it. If we don't protect people abroad, if we don't ensure that people abroad get vaccinated, then the virus will mutate. Uh, It will become resistant to the vaccines that we have, and we're gonna be all the way back to the beginning. So this is not just an ethical obligation, but it's also a practical one uh, we know that this is a global pandemic and that we can only solve it if everyone has access to the vaccine wherever they live. Many of
0: the wealthy countries, uh, you know, G7 countries included, that have not turned uh, to COVAX. We should also note that New Zealand has, Singapore has, uh, but those G7 countries, other G7 countries haven't. Uh, but... They have, in most cases, they have domestic vaccine production. Canada doesn't. Uh, is that an argument that Canada can realistically hold up and say, "Look, we, we need a we need to tap vaccine from wherever we can get it, including Covax, because we can't make it ourselves."
4: No. Uh, what we should have done, and you know, where there's, there'll be lots of time to to look back and to and to learn the lessons from this period. But we should have done a better job, a more successful job in ensuring that the hundreds of millions of doses that we contracted for uh, would be available to us at a reasonable schedule. Uh, We should have at the very beginning of this pandemic on the very first day recognized our national security weakness in not having our own vaccine production facility. And we should have made sure that we brought that online. There are other countries that also did not have that capacity that brought it online. Mm. Uh, so well, let me regard- just jump in, for
0: sorry if I can, but a sure. moment ago you're saying we shouldn't have done the end run and contracted separately, but you're saying, okay, since we did it, we should have done a better job of securing the supplies.
4: That's absolutely right. You know, we the, the COVAX facility really was intended to be the one-stop shop. For all countries, Uh, there already has been a lot of criticism of wealthy countries like Canada having taken so much of the global supply and leaving so little for uh, low-income countries and other countries who weren't able to secure those kind of arrangements. So given that we have secured so much supply. Um, This should be the absolute last place that we look. And as I said, not just for the ethical reasons, but also because if we do not uh, vaccinate people in other countries at the same time that we're vaccinating people in Canada, then we are not protecting people in Canada. And so we, we, we know this, and our Minister Gould, when she was announcing our participation in COVAX, she said that in those exact words. And so this is a real contradiction of that, and it definitely weakens and undermines the COVAX facility. All right.
0: Uh, thank you so much for your time, uh, enemy, Paul. Good to talk to you tonight. Take care.
4: Thank you very much, Peter. Take care.
0: Time now to bring in our panel of political commentators. This week, joined by Liberal commentator Susan Smith, Kate Harrison is a Conservative commentator, and Kiavash Najafi is an NDP commentator. Good to see you all. Thanks for being here, Susan. Look, let's begin with the criticism we heard from the Green Party leader, Anemi Paul, calling on Canada to cancel its order of vaccines from COVAX. Um, she says accepting those vaccines is an embarrassment to Canada. What's your view?
5: Well, it seems Canada's damned if it does and damned if it doesn't. First, we're being screamed at because we don't have enough vaccines quickly enough. And then we're being screamed at that we're um, we're taking that we're optimizing what is possible because of our 400 million dollar contribution to COVAX. It's my understanding it has to do with the AstraZeneca vaccine, which we don't have here yet in the country. Uh, I, I can see why people might be concerned about it, but I think that it, it's important to understand the context of what COVAX is. So do we want the vaccines that we are supposed to have as a country? Uh, if that's the case, then as a country, any country that's contributed can draw on COVAX. Right. It's as simple as that.
0: I mean, Kate, I think you know the Conservative leader wouldn't say today, Aaron O'Toole, if he would cancel Canada's COVAX vaccine order, um, you know. Is Canada wrong to accept these vaccines from the COVAX pool or does going for them now uh, underscore what else might be wrong with the, the, the vaccine rollout in this country?
6: Yeah, I, I think that it does underscore the the bigger problem here. And I think Annamie Paul's characterization of this as embarrassing is is the right one. Uh, just because you can criticize both decisions, you know, having the vaccines now or, or whether or not we ought to tap into COVAX doesn't mean that it's not worthy of criticism. Yes, the Liberals were going to get hammered on this either way. Uh, but I think what it ultimately does do is, you know... It, Canada's come, coming across right now as being a bit of a double dipper. We've secured all these doses. Uh, we don't have them. So now we're going back to a pool that really was not designed for us If we're being honest about uh, the purpose of COVAX uh, to tap into those. And we would not be in this situation at all and having to rely on that pool for uh, countries in the developing world had we uh, negotiated okay. better contracts, had we had domestic uh, vaccine manufacturing capacity.
0: The Kiev of the the government last fall uh, when announcing Canada his contribution, $440 million, made it clear at the time that, look, this is a two-stream idea. You put money in the pool to, to buy vaccines for poor countries that can't afford them, and you're allowed to draw out as well for yourself. But as Annamie Paul puts it, the, you know, the thinking at the time was, the thought was this would be the great big pool where everybody went to get vaccines. It hasn't turned out that way. Countries are buying them on their own. Uh, the NDP leader wouldn't say today whether he, he would uh, cancel uh, uh, the order for the vaccines from COVAX for Canada. So a lot of criticism, but no leaders except enemy Paul saying give it back. Uh, is Canada wrong here?
7: I think what's happening is very unfortunate and, quite frankly, unconscionable. This is vaccines that should be for the poorest countries in the world, not some of the richest. We are, after all, part of the G7. Uh, The rest of the world is not accountable for the failures of our own country to produce vaccines or purchase them on time. Um, And, yeah, so I I do agree that uh, that this is not the right move, and we have the the, um, firepower to take care of ourselves. We shouldn't be taking it out of the pot of money, Uh, that exists for people who, and and the countries that just can't afford this vaccine.
0: Susan, does it underscore the deeper problems, and we're hearing more today about uh, Moderna doses doses being delayed and coming to Canada when they do in smaller numbers? Uh, Is there starting to get a a, a sort of feel of desperation around the vaccine rollout in this country?
5: I think it's been dialed up, the concern. I... I'm confident that we're going to get the vaccines, the 6 million vaccines that we're supposed to have from Pfizer and BioNTech by the end of March. We're also waiting to get the approval of the AstraZeneca vaccine and other vaccines. So it's going to happen. But the government has to cover as many bases as we can. And as you so clearly explained, Peter, the COVAX scenario was countries putting money in with, with development vaccine, uh, the development of vaccine and the ability to draw, draw on that as well as sharing with other countries. So, It's our government's job to take care of our people. And we're doing that. And at the same time, that $400 million that we contributed is also going to help other countries. So we've got to look after our own population. And we're making, I think, responsible decisions. And the minute more vaccine production happens, I think you will see less of a drawdown in other places.
0: Um, Kate, what what do you say to that?
6: I think that there should at very least be a commitment to give any of the doses that we're set to receive later on uh, back into the fund, if we're planning on withdrawing from that fund now, um, that that seems like the conscionable thing to do. I do think that the public attitude and opinion on this is shifting uh, in in real time. I think that there has been a swing in the last few weeks of how the public views the government's performance on getting vaccines uh, to this country. Uh, And so, you know, you can talk about the opposition dialing things up, uh, but I think that certainly Canadians are starting to grow concerned. They're reasonable. I think they know we're not going to be on the same timeline as the U.S. and the U.K., uh, but they certainly would expect that we would be on a, a faster timeline than some of the other countries that have leaped yeah. so far ahead of us.
0: Yeah, Kevash, when we talk about Canada being the only G7 country to access these doses at this point, uh, it, it is true, though. I mean, it, it does underscore we have no domestic production here. So this idea of covering all the bases that Canada can cover, uh, how do you view that?
7: I, I hear what Suzanne is saying. Absolutely. We have to take care of our population. But the fact that we have to go to this pot of uh, money and vaccine that was saved for some of the most vulnerable countries in the world and, and tap into it in order to take care of our population just speaks to the fact that we have not been able to be, to successfully take care of our own population. It is, it is a symptom of the failure of the government to deliver on the vaccine side.
0: Susan, the House today, let's switch to something else. The the House today debated a motion from the Conservatives to create this special parliamentary committee to focus on the challenges in the Canada-U.S. relationship. Pipelines, Buy America, uh, softwood lumber disputes, COVID cooperation. How useful would that committee be, Susan?
5: I I don't know. We didn't have a special committee under Donald Trump. I'm not sure we necessarily need one under Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. If we're ever going to be aligned with an American administration, it would be now. But if if the Parliament decides that that's what they would like, fine. We do have a foreign affairs committee. They can study whatever they would like to study at any point in time, so they could go the route of Canada, U.S. Uh, We have always had issues with the United States, uh, and we have never struck a special committee. And, you you know, I go back to my opening statement. If you were going to have one, Trump was the time to have it. But if Parliament decides that's what they want to do, that's fine. But I think it's important that we don't let parliamentary politics impede our ability to negotiate and do the right kind of deals with the United States that we need to do. There's grandstanding that happens in these committees. We know that. And we need to make sure that we don't okay. dial things
6: up that don't need to be dialed up.
0: Kate, have, uh, what, how useful would this committee be?
6: I think it will be quite useful. There's a lot that's on the go right now with Canada-U.S. relations, Line 5 by American, uh, a Keystone, obviously, a number of other things that are, are on the agenda. Uh, that could occupy the House of Commons uh, agenda full-time, just on its own. It makes sense to have it be part of a, a committee that can look at this more specifically. Uh, we saw that the government uh, adopted a, a motion in the past on Canada-China relations. To me, this is a new era for Canada-U.S. relations, and it makes sense that it happens its own home
0: via a special committee. Uh, Kiev is this a good idea? I think it's going
7: to be as useful as the Canada-China committee, which was quite frankly completely useless. Uh, we have a Foreign Affairs committee. I completely agree with Susan on this one. I, it seems to be a, um, just something that the conservatives need to throw to the wind to change the channel on COVID and, and try to act like they're doing something about the energy sector that is uh, squeezed uh, due to economic and climate change. Um, so I, I think that it's just a parliamentary ploy. Quite frankly, the Foreign Affairs Committee often looks at Canada-US relations, especially in the case of a new administration. I don't understand why we need to have a separate
0: committee. All right, let me, let me finish I on this. i only got about on ten, ten, or, I just 10 or 15 seconds. Time is really tight here, but I just want to get the pulse from you guys, where you think we're at in terms of a snap spring election. Is that still a thing these days? Susan? I don't think so.
5: No, not unless we get a lot of vaccines into a lot of arms before the end of June.
0: Kate Harrison?
6: I want to hear Kivash's answer on this one. <laughs> in the ball ultimately going to be in the NDP's court. Uh, if anything, I think the Liberals were thinking about it, but given the way things are shaping up on vaccines, it's hard seeing that come together now.
0: All right, Kivash, we're all waiting for what you think.
7: I I, I don't think it's going to happen, but the NDP is in a better position than it's been in the past. And and I think uh, similar to previous situations, the Liberals would have to be able to work with the NDP if they want NDP support uh, for their budgets or the next steps. All right. uh,
0: Okay, let's see what the the coming weeks bring us. Thank you all for your time tonight. appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you. And that is all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching. I'm Peter Van Dusen. See you next time.